Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. And we are live. Good morning, everyone. It's V the Gorilla Economist coming to you live with my main man, CJ, who's working the airwaves. And we got ourselves a special day today because we have with us London Paul, the one and only London Paul from TheSeriousReport.com. And folks, if you haven't been to TheSeriousReport.com, I urge you to do so for less than the price of a latte that you are spending an un unnecessary money on to get unneeded calories. You can get your intellectual caloric fill over at the Serious Report and their special membership. For $4.75, you will get the play-by-play -play daily given to you by London Paul himself on the goings-on of the world, the behind-the-scenes, the political maneuverings, you name it, he talks about it. And with that being said, folks, check out London Paul's TheSeriousReport.com. Paul, how are you, buddy? Good morning, V, and good morning and afternoon and evening to everyone else. Yeah, I'm very well. And yourself? I'm hanging in there. It's uh, it's Wednesday, I think, right? See, what day is it? Is it Thursday? No, it's it's Thursday. Jesus, this day just goes. <laughs> it's 2018 as well. Oh, is it? <laughs> is Obama still president? <laughs> no, a few things have happened since then. I just, you know, I, I woke up from my coma, Paul. <laughs> 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 oh man, Paul! It's great to have you back. Uh, we missed you on Monday, but we're glad yeah, just busy, just busy doing things with my mom on Monday, so we just didn't have time to do it, unfortunately. But uh, no worries, man. Paul, what's on your radar? Where do you want to begin? Uh, there's a lot going on. You, you know, hot off the heels of Helsinki, hot off the heels of everything else. What, what is the latest, man? I think you know, I. It was always kind of debatable with with Trump how he handled foreign policy. I mean, we've seen these kind of strange kind of one minute sort of flattering Xi and and uh, the Chinese, and then we had the trade war that seems to be just relentless, and there's no let up in it. And I kind of went away and thought about this, and thought, you know, this is maybe a good starting point because what was certainly the case is. From my perspective, and this isn't a reflection on Trump himself, but there is a, certainly a movement within his administration, and it's debatable who it is because I'm not even sure this revolves around the likes of Bolton. But um, but certainly there is, from my perspective, there are moves to to try and definitely drive this wedge between the Russians and the Chinese, and 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 in the process they're trying to. I mean, it's completely foolhardy to do this, but I think. They're trying to, in their own way, have a go at China and try to drive a wedge um, between China and the European Union. They're trying to do everything. Now, there can be a number of reasons for this, but there's a bit of a backstory because what's certainly the case is we know Kissinger, of all people, certainly has been in residence at the White House since Trump was elected on maybe two or three, maybe even more occasions. I don't know now. 
what we understand and know is that Trump suggested to Trump, sorry, Kissinger suggested to Trump that the US should work with Russia to contain what he regarded as a rising China. Now, of course, we know that China and Russia are joined at the hip and this is never going to happen. Now, we know previously in history that China were, sorry, Kissinger was the mastermind behind the tactic where they wanted to establish diplomatic ties with China in those days to isolate what was then the Soviet Union. Now, it seems a bit interesting there's a flip side to this. But obviously, um, if, you know, if you've got closer relations with Russia, along with other countries in the region, then obviously the idea was you could try and contain what they understand is China's growing power and influence. Well, certainly Kissinger does. It's debatable whether everyone in the Beltway does or people in the administration does. Now, certainly I think there must be elements within Trump's administration and possibly in the State Department, the Pentagon, etc., who I kind of like the idea of having closer relations with Russia, but solely to contain Beijing. Now, of course, the, uh, that's kind of complicated by the fact I don't doubt that Trump has sees, you know, some sort of synergy with, with Putin. I think he'd like to develop relations. Um, and also telling me, of course, Kissinger really isn't on a face value and antagonistic towards China because he's advocated actually the Belt and Road Initiative and, and regard it as being something positive. But he also advocated a better relationship between Washington and Moscow because after the Helsinki um, summit, he said it was a meeting that had to take place and he'd advocated it for several years, which is, which is absolutely true because he said that. Um, he also actually tellingly Kissinger said that he doubted uh, the purpose of why there will be Russian interference in the election and he promised that or said from his perspective, there, would be a, there should be a better balance of power between the US and Russia, effectively. Now, the question is, to what extent has Kissinger shaped Trump's affinity for, for Russia and for, the, and for Putin, particularly? I, it's debatable, and we can't really say how much influence he's had on him. He may have to varying degrees. But what is clearly the feel from the cabal point of view is that Russia and China are far too, you know, in bed with each other and we know exactly that from their perspective it's a lethal combination if they're together what i think they're failing to understand it you know that the boat's long sailed in that regard there's nothing going to divide them uh, at all in that in that respect because every week and every day you see more and more closer ties closer relationships i mean they're probably two nations on that we've never seen have such a close relationship in in the history of as long as we've been on this planet, I would suggest, although, of course, we can't comment on maybe what happened in days gone by, maybe hundreds of years ago, but certainly in modern history, we've never seen two nations have the relationship they do. But definitely during, before Trump was elected and during the sort of presidential campaign, there was even discussions back then about, you know, maybe we need to start, you know, developing relations with Russia. But also they were talking about developing them with Japan and India and the Middle East. And again, because there's this threat, perceived threat of the dominance of China um, rearing its head. And we know Trump, after his meeting with Xi, was very kind of you know, positive about him. You know, they partnered to some extent on some foreign policy decisions. But of course, there's this highly confrontational 
position on trade and we're not going to go into too much of that at this point because we've discussed this quite a lot but i mean but i think the dislike for china is more obvious in the whole beltway than we imagine and certainly kissinger's aim is to drive a wedge between china and russia okay it'll fail but this is what i actually think i don't think kissinger cares actually that much for russia either it's a stepping stone i i think he thinks well if we can divide China and Russia at some point, we can pick Russia off further down the track and we'll neutralize both of them. Somehow the US will survive in the process. Of course, this is not reality, but this is the, from my understanding and the way I'm looking at it, that's the kind of methodology behind what, you know, the advocation of sort of developing and strengthening relations with Russia. Now, obviously, an aside to this is there's certainly concern in Washington as to whether Trump's attempt at reproachment with Russia is driven by these broader concerns about Beijing's growing influence or by an affinity with Putin himself. And of course, the, their fears were compounded. And this is why, the, you know, people nearly had an epileptic fit because Trump at one point seemed to literally side with Putin's denial of Russian election meddling over the assessment of his own intelligence agencies. Well, we know of course, that's reality, and you know full well that uh, Russia had no influence. But for him to publicly say that was was a pretty damning statement. Um, and what we've noticed also recently, which kind of suggests there is, to some extent, a desire inside Washington to try take stick it to the Chinese, even though it's ridiculous. Is you know it used to all be about Russia's the threat. Now they're warning the threat that China poses, and we need to have some comprehensive strategy to combat it. I mean, the FBI director said that they're the most significant threat we now face as a country. And I think one of the deputy assistant directors of the CIA's East Asia mission said, mission said that China's waging this cold war against the US, which, which of course it isn't. So it's almost like let's start demonizing the Chinese more than the Russians. And it's clear that the Trump administration is aware of the rise of China from issues of trade. But they also the trouble is there's people in this administration who thinks, oh, this is Chinese hegemony. They want to dominate Asia, displace the US, uh, build this military base all around the world. I mean, which, of course, China has got no interest in doing. But of course, unfortunately, in the Washington, they only see things through their own microscope. So this is how we do it. So everyone else has to do it. There's also an underestimation of the relationship the Russians and the Chinese have. Because they actually think, oh, there's distrust over matters because, you know, China's made inroads with its Belt and Road into, you know, the, the stands like Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, etc. And the Chinese and the Russians are working together. We know that. They don't appreciate that and realize that's the case. And they think that somehow that's a, a, a way of, of sort of trying to divide and conquer the relationship between the two. Um, and also, I think the thing is they are terrified that China is going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And somehow they think that China is going to consume the Russians. And, and therefore, that's another point of leverage because we can therefore, yeah, you know, le leverage that aspect of the relationship and say to, to Russia, well, you know, China is going to consume you at some point. Of course, China, Russia knows it's absolute nonsense. Um, I think there's certainly a belief in the Trump administration that Moscow, they think, will, will eventually see Beijing as its greatest geopolitical foe. I mean, it's incredible they believe this, but it's 
and they think that you know could set up reproachment with the US and and this kind of belief goes on and on and on but in the short term of course they see Russia as the biggest threat because it's got a huge nuclear arsenal also of course they now realize that Russia is militarily light years ahead that's another reason for reproachment uh, with Russia in in the process but in the next breath of course we have Pompeo saying we'll never recognize Crimea as part of uh, Russia and it's about time you know, the Russians left Crimea and, went and let it go back to the Ukraine. And then we have the situation where Russia's giving aid to the Ukrainians. Uh, sorry, the, the Washington's giving aid to the Ukrainians. It's another 200 million. Doesn't sound a lot, but they shouldn't be giving them any. And they're giving them more lethal weapons. They still regard that, you know, that Russia's a rogue state in Ukraine and Syria for that matter. But the problem I have with all this is that it's debatable exactly where Trump fits in this. I, I don't. Trump's no, isn't an idiot. He knows, understands well enough what's going on. But I don't know whether he understands the fact that China is and Russia are inseparable. And it may be a reason why, if you look at the the fallout of the summit, and this is something that came about pretty rapidly, is Trump was, well, we need to have another summit pretty pretty quickly, and. He sent Bolton off to talk to the Russians about having another summit. And they're already basically saying, well, we're going to have a summit this, before the end of this year. And then what happened? The summit's not happening. And the Trump's come out and they've said, well, we're going to leave having another summit until the Mueller investigation's finished. So you know, sometime in 2019, well, who knows how long the Mueller investigation's going to last for. But the reality is, the reason the summit's not happening is because the Russians have backed off and said, we don't want another summit this year. And the reason is, is because if the if the, the, the reality is there is an attempt to divide China, China and Russia. And that came about, you know, that became obvious from discussions, not necessarily with Trump, but the, uh, the discussion that happened after that uh, on the same day in Helsinki. And then Russia's going to back off and say, look, we don't trust you because... Once again, you're meddling and you're trying to divide uh, the Chinese and, the, and on ourselves, and it's never going to happen. And that's why, you know, there's no date put on when the summit's going to happen. I mean, 2019, who knows what's going to happen with the Mueller investigation? It could end tomorrow. But equally, it could go on for weeks and months, and we have no way of knowing. I think it's a clear indication Russia's getting cold feet. And I don't, I, and I can completely understand why that would be the case if there is any even the slightest glimmer that the, the U.S. is trying in some way to, you know, in, divide the, the Chinese and the Russians. Because as we've said before, it's never going to happen. You couldn't get two nations close. And they've learned from history that the cabal have done everything to divide and conquer nations. And they've learned from their past mistakes. And the Chinese and the Russians didn't always get on that. Everyone knows that in history. But they've learned from that, and in, particularly in the last decade and even longer. They've got together, resolve differences and realize who the common enemy is. And in no way, shape or form, they're going to let anyone um, jeopardize that. And I think that's probably the rationale why this summit's now gone cold. And, and it remains to be seen what's going to happen in terms of developments between China and Russia. But when you've got Pompeo making high octane comments regarding Ukraine, it's hardly going to end, endear the Russians to want to have any meaningful discussions over and above what they've had with regards to Syria and uh, ensuring that they don't you know, end up bombing each other or 
you know, launching missiles at each other's planes and all those sort of things and, and trying to make sure that the world goes to bed at night and wakes up in the same way in the morning and all those things they've always done, irrespective of how bad the relationship may or may not be. But I, I think it's a bit of a concerning development. And, and you know, in terms of the, the whole tariff situation with the Chinese, the US are, are just never going to win. I mean, already just one small point. The Trump administration's having to bail out farmers to the tune of $12 billion. That's what's happened in a matter of weeks. What happens if this drags on for months? What happens if in six months we've still got the... There's going to be major problems. And we can probably talk a bit about the sort of fallout from the EU in a minute and, and the meeting between Juncker and Trump. But I think, I think it is. I think everything now revolves around trying to do everything they can to damage the Chinese. But it's, it's futile and it's absolutely farcical to even attempt to do it because China, as you know, has all the economic arsenal at its disposal. You know, it, it's uh, it's pretty interesting that they're trying to do this in terms of trying to drive a fissure between the uh, the Sino the Russo Sino nexus over there. But with this many energy agreements signed up, the uh, the the One Belt One Road initiative going forth, and the infrastructure for that being built out as well, the 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 right measure for Washington to take is not the measure of hey, you know what, let's divide and conquer here. Because everybody sees that. Everybody sees that from a mile away, especially the Chinese and the Russians. The smart decision here is for them to be involved with what's going on globally in the new multipolar world. And even though you have that idiot Pompeo saying stuff like, hey, you know what, Crimea, we're not going to recognize it. What did Trump say about Crimea? I think if I remember correctly, Paul, he says, uh, he said, uh, you know, Crimea belongs to Russia. Yeah, because everyone speaks Russian there. Exactly. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he definitely. I mean, this is not. I'm not like criticizing Trump. I'm just oh, no, no, explaining. No, no, I'm just, I'm just no, no, I know no. you know that. I'm just making yeah. in case anyone thinks I'm sort of let you know laying everything at the door of Trump. I'm not. It's just that no. No. there are problematical issues exactly. inside the Trump administration. Exactly. We have a and lot I don't of believe it's Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Absolutely. And this is this is a major major problem that. And and of course, here's the other, you know, stacked up against this, whatever we think the, uh, that Trump and, and Putin's personal relationship may or may not be, what's the one thing that the Russians have done in the last couple of months? They've virtually dumped all their treasuries and bought gold. Yeah. Now, I mean, that's a clear signal that, you know, there is whatever the relationship between Trump and Putin is, and I think there's no doubt Putin regards Trump as, as being an honorable individual and he feels he can work with them. But he realizes that they just cannot work with the rest of the or large part of the rest of the administration. And, and in the process, China dump, uh, sorry, Russia dumping all their treasuries and buying gold isn't, I think, is not less to do with uh, trying to uh, launch some broadside at the dollar. It's more to do with the fact that the Russians uh, regard that the sort of global economy is getting weaker and weaker to the point they didn't want to wait until it was too late. And just because they bought it now doesn't mean things are going to collapse tomorrow or next week. Because if you want to source that much gold, it takes a, it takes a hell of a long time. You can't just go, oh, I think, you know, that we're seeing serious signs of fracture in the global economy in a, in a month or two months, let's, or next, you know, six months or something, you'd have to plan well ahead. So there's no doubt they've had full intention to do this a lot longer than 
in the last two, three, four months, etc. So it's a long-term strategy from them. But clearly, it's indicative of the fact that that you know that, that there is serious distrust. And the problem that Trump has is is as well as the advice he's getting, because it isn't debatable as to whether his desire for reproachment in Russia is purely on the basis of how we would expect Trump to, or is it because he has got, you know, a certain degree of influence of Kissinger with regards to, and we know what Kissinger's uh, perspective is on everything. He doesn't want to see a strong Russia or a strong China. And there's no doubt, you know, he might, he might go and people think, oh, Kissinger's gone to talk to Putin. It shows Putin's a cabal. No, Kissinger's desperate for Putin to play ball with him. And of course, he'll never play ball with him. And therefore, there's no love lost between between either of them. And there's no way that Kissinger wants to see a strong Russia in as as opposed to uh, to a strong China. He doesn't want to see a, a strong Russia or China. And the terrifying prospect for, for the cabal is, of course, is a unified, strong China and Russia that's building out this multipolar world. I mean, it's their worst nightmare coming true. And when you bolt in Germany, which is is very slowly but very sort of covertly coming together, you build this whole Eurasian axis, and it's the end of the cabal's ability to control anything, anywhere in the world. Absolutely correct. Paul, um... Middle East situation, what's your recent roundup on what's going on over there? Well, I mean, I, I, I think you, we're most certainly reaching a point where there was a lot of concern and uh, that you know, things would escalate into a larger scale war. I think we've reached the end of that point. I don't think there's any chance of that happening. I mean, for all the rhetoric that's coming out regarding Iran and uh, without laboring the point too much, it's pretty obvious that there are elements within the US administration who are most definitely seeking um, regime change in Iran. And the simple reason is that it's the only way they can change. I mean, because they can never have a war with Iran because it's the war that the US coalition would lose very, very quickly and very easily. And they're not going to entertain trying to go to war with Iran, but they'll do everything they can economically to try and wreck the nation, try and promote regime change. Of course, it will fail because they have the Chinese and the Russian backing. But what we're seeing is this war of words. And there was a lot of idea with between Kim Jong-un and Trump that it was all bravado and there wasn't a lot in it, calling him rocket man, et cetera. And all this. It wasn't, there wasn't a huge amount of reality to it. But when you've got the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps coming out, with really high octane comments, deliberately antagonizing Trump, who immediately calls some meeting to discuss it. I mean, this is a totally different situation, but there's no doubt the Iranians are stoking the boiler and, and I don't think they want to go to war. I think, of course they don't, but the reality is what they're doing is they're trying to highlight the weakness and they're trying to provoke the US to doing something uh, that will be hugely detrimental. And of course, we've got the, the the sanctions that are supposed to come into force on the 4th of August, and then, then there's the 4th of November. It's kind of a graduated process. A lot of the European nations are refusing to, to agree to this, and will still want to maintain the JCPOA, as does China and Russia. And in fact, the only nations, as we know, is is the Israelis and the US. Uh, I I think it's worth, at this point, actually mentioning the fact of the EU and um, 
the US and the meeting between Juncker and uh, Trump because the idea was, oh, it's a big win, all these concessions from the US. But do you know what? We had similar discussions between the Chinese and the US and then they went home and, and in fact, the reverse happened. And yeah, the, 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 the Europeans have said, well, we'll buy some more LNG you know, with no real commitment, no actual, you know, it's all just, well, yes, we will intend looking into that, but why are they going to pay 30 to 40% more? But what's the concession the US have had to back off with regards to Nord Stream? So it's not a matter of the, you know, the US getting all the concessions. And I don't think at the end of the day that the Europeans all buy this. And then there's a talk about the soybean imports. Well, soybean, soybean imports from uh, the US have fallen 25% in the last decade. So why are they suddenly going to buy all these when obviously they're buying from other markets? They're not going to go, well, actually, we'll buy from the US and then we'll will cause some spat with someone else by just stopping buying all the imports from those nations. So I can't see there's much reality to that. Yeah, there's talk of reducing tariffs and subsidies. I mean, in the end, yes, there should be free trade. Free trade will be the one thing. And it was interesting, Trump comes out with a comment, says, you know, we need to have free trade. And yeah, just scrap all tariffs is ridiculous. But for all the rhetoric, I think, give it a week or two and, and then reality hits home. And, I think we're going to be back to square one. I don't think anybody has won anything. There's, you can argue that both sides have got some concessions, but it's pretty mean, meaningless until you flesh out the substance to it. But I think this is, once again, is there's a desire now because to uh, try and isolate the Chinese and try and get the US and the Chinese, to uh, the US and the Europeans to try and have some sort of trade um, you know, deal because they know that the Chinese are already knocking, will have been knocking at the door of the Europeans for some time. And they're terrified they're going to lose out in, a, in another trade war in that regard. So we slightly digress, but, but certainly this is all part of the JCPOA is going to be a, a big aspect of this because the Europeans won't back down. And, and what's going to happen if they don't back down? We can have all these discussions about trade and and you know concessions on this and concessions on that but the problem you're going to have is what's trump going to do say to the europeans well we're not going to allow you to trade with iran oh you are right we're going to put sanctions on you well that's going to put the kibosh on any trade deals with the europeans so you know is something's got to give somewhere and and you just cannot see how the that the us is just going to walk away and back off from the jcpoa and say to iran don't worry just carry on trying you know, trading with all these partners, they're going to have to seem to be strong. But in the process, they're going to damage relations with the Europeans. So it's very early days and I don't place any great stall in it. But Iran is a very big focal point, in, ironically, in relations between the EU and, and the US. In terms of Israel, I think Israel is, is rapidly having to back off and, and back away from, from a large part of events in the Middle East. I think there's a lot of idea that there was deals struck between the Russians and the Israelis, and that's absolutely not the case. And as I've always said, the Russians have Netanyahu on a leash. It's not the other way around. And people will say, well, okay, why do these, why do certain things happen? Well, the world's a very complex place, and the Russians are trying to maintain and develop relations with all nations because that's the sensible, mature approach to do so. That is a very difficult responsibility to manage. So it's not a simple question of saying, well, Israel threatens to do this or Israel does that. Therefore, it means that Russia is sympathetic to the Israelis. They're absolutely not. 
in a broader sense, it's interesting the Saudis have gone rather quiet. I haven't heard too much out of them lately. But internally, they've got huge economic problems and they remain in the situation. And certainly, I think in terms of look at what the, the Chinese and the Russians are doing in the Middle East. We had the big sort of charm offensive in the Middle East. We had Xi Jinping went to the UAE for three days. He didn't go there just to... Uh, have a chat about the weather and obviously there are serious developments going on and this is the other thing that's irking the, the US as much as the Russians are, have stuck it to the cabal in terms of uh, Syria and they've turned an almost certain defeat for Assad into a well a nearly a near victory now in totality they can, that's bad enough but they can see that the Chinese are be behind everything that's gone on in Syria and also China's economically moving into all these nations. It's developing strong relations with Qatar. It's gotten relations with Bahrain. It's got relations with UAE and also, of course, Saudi Arabia. And of course, China's a huge energy consumer. So it has a huge amount of leverage with, with the Saudis. And ultimately, they are ad well, admitting the adoption of the Petroyuan rather than actually, of course, uh, that they already do you, uh, sell oil in the Petroyuan. To, to some extent anyway. So that's another reason why they're very irked by what the Chinese are doing, because the one thing China's doing is doing everything economically that they tried to do militarily and wasted, well, who knows, tens of trillions of dollars on pointless military campaigns that, that the US has ended up gaining nothing out of it. China spends a fraction of that and develops all these relations. And the big in, interesting point is, and something that, perhaps people don't realize, but the Chinese have not borrowed a single uh, renminbi to finance any of the Belt and Road. It's come out of all their own cash reserves. That's how much money the Chinese have got. I mean, they have around 13 trillion of for, uh, foreign exchange reserve. In the bank, I think they've their own currency, they've got about $26 trillion equivalent of RMB. They have plenty of money to finance everything. They don't have to borrow money off anyone. And that's why all this idea China's debt-ridden is farcical. They're not debt-ridden. Correct. And, the, way, and whatever up. tiny little debt they have in comparison to their cash reserves, Paul, all that debt is is not even systemic debt like we have in the U.S. And on top yeah. of the systemic debt that we have in the U.S., unlike China, all our debt is outside the country. It's a major problem. Well, yes, and that's the thing. Yeah, China doesn't have external debt. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, and given the fact that most of the, a lot of the operations are state-owned, it's like one state-owned organization owns another one, whatever it owns, billions, whatever it might be. I mean, it's an irrelevance. But as you said, the U.S.'s biggest problem is it's all of its debt. It's all got external debt. Or, although it's kind of debatable, <laughs> Actually, how, who's actually been buying U.S. debt? Because certainly foreign nations have curtailed a lot of that in the last few years. And, of course, we know for one example is pension funds have been buying U.S. debt, so, so there, which actually just exacerbates the huge problems that the U.S. economy has. But, but yeah, I, everything just at the moment, it all revolves around, for me, that there's this very significant unease between the U.S. and China and and you've seen that the comments coming out from the Chinese foreign ministry. I mean, they're making China's very normally reserved and pretty guarded in how it approaches things, but it's come out with some pretty savage uh, rhetoric regarding the U.S. 
and it shows they've just running out of patience and and the question is china has all the the ammunition to to eventually pull the plug as part of the reset process it can do that and the question is how long how long is chinese patience going to last before i mean yes it's event driven they're not just going to just go right i've had enough and pull the plug tomorrow of course they won't do that but any we always said all along there were thing that the Trump administration needs to do is build strong, trusting relationships with the Chinese and the Russians. And to some extent, they've done that with the Russians. But then the question is, if Russia suspects the ulterior motive is to divide them and the Chinese, that's not going to help matters at all. And and of course, China has lost patience with and trust with the, the US because the US came out and said, well, it's the Chinese, you know, they, they don't want to have any discussions about trade relations. And the Chinese came out and said, excuse me, that's the exact opposite. We're the ones who've been trying to talk about it and you won't discuss anything with us. So these are these are kind of a broad indication that there's there's a there's the relations between the Chinese and the, and the US is very, very fraught. And and given their respective positions, you know, economically, forget the geopolitics, et cetera, but just economically and, and the fact that China has the arsenal of economic weapons at its disposal. You th- I, I, it's just staggering. I'm not really sure exactly how uh, anyone's convinced Trump or anyone in the administration that they can stick it to the Chinese economically. It, 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 I'm, I'm just trying to picture being sat in a meeting because if I was sat in a meeting in Washington and someone said to me, well, this is our plan and we're going to economically attack the Chinese, I'd list off 20 reasons why it would be insanity to even try it. And I can't believe someone hasn't pointed that out to them, but but there's just no let up. I mean, the fact fact now is it's like, well, let's have five hundred billion dollars worth of tariff, uh, you know, um, tariffs applied to all Chinese imports. Well, China's run out of import options, so it's going to attack the U.S. in ways that is going to be even more damaging to the U.S. economy than than imports. And the imports is bad enough, as we've highlighted with the the farmers and. The other point is the farmers are furious with with the Trump administration and how many of these people, and and this is going to affect industries, these are the people who gave Trump a huge amount of votes to get him into office. Now, if it carries on, are they at some point going to switch their allegiance? It sounds unbelievable to even believe that's a possibility, but you can't rule it out. And the risk is, I mean, what strange things have happened and you could have some serious turn of events in the midterms and then trump's screwed because if if it happens and I, i'm not saying it will and i think it's unlikely but you you can never tell you know that you could have a situation where trump becomes this impotent president who who he already has enough problems with um the congress and the senate it might be 50 times worse for him and then he really has got major problems in trying to pass any policy and make any meaningful changes to anything and then, of course, the other problem is, is what happens if we do have any sort of economic sort of event before the midterms? I think given his stance on the, the U.S. economy, the, I mean, it's going to be very hard for him to then turn around to the American people and say, well, actually, you know, everything I said before I was elected was correct. Is they going to then question his, you know, whether they can trust him? So, and this is all quite simplistic on one level, but... There's certainly problems that underpin all this, and it's precisely why 
gunning for the Chinese is the worst possible thing you can do because already the US economy is suffering. I don't see any evidence uh, that the Chinese economy, yeah, there's been problems, but already they, they, I think they, clear, they had an, uh, an idea this was going to happen because they're already looking at diversifying their import markets and getting their you know, goods and services from other nations. And bit by bit by bit, you'll see, it's like the deal between Qualcomm and, um, and NXP. Who's, the per, who's, who's stuck the ore in on that and stopped that happening? The Chinese. So already you can see that China's getting very angry and that they're, they're going to start taking measures that, a, you know, are going to impact the U.S. economy and U.S. industry um, to a larger or lesser extent. And, uh, and they've hardly started. I mean, people say, well, if they dump all the treasuries, well, yes, they could do, but that could be potentially a bit of a foolish thing to do. But they can certainly harm the U.S. in many ways. And it comes back to the old point of, China turns around and says, right, we've got all the physical gold and, and silver we want. We're going to reset the price. As of today, we're announcing we're resetting the price of gold and silver. It kills the dollar. And when the dollar dies, the U.S. is in big trouble. And China has the capability to do that. And, and, that is, and if people want to understand one aspect of the reset, that's precisely it. China resets the gold or silver price to whatever they want to reset it to. Of course, what, what's that going to do to the paper markets in the West? It'll destroy them. It'll be game over for them. And it's game over for the dollar. And that's something else that staggers me that no one's actually thinking. Hang on a minute. We know China's buying up all this gold, and they have been for, for years. Why are they doing this? Why, why are they actually, why is Russia doing it? Why are all these nations buying it? Meanwhile, we don't have any gold, although we keep pretending we've got 8,000 tons. They're never we asking do. these questions. It's uh, all our gold is in a fish barrel that's in the middle okay. of Fort on the floor in Fort Knox. Paul, did you not know this? There's a few coins in there, from what I hear. <laughs> yeah, maybe a pearl necklace. Somebody <laughs> took a pearl necklace in there. <laughs> maybe, maybe a few diamonds. I don't know. Jokes aside, but yeah. but yeah, no, it, it it's just something I I it staggers me that these discussions are had and there's nobody pointing out the obvious, but I think, I think the, the, the fundamental thing is people just underestimate the Chinese. They continue to underestimate. They think there's some it sort really of provincial is, backwater of the 1970s. On, Paul, it literally borders on, on prejudice. Actually, it is prejudice that's bordering on racism. They, they just cannot think that the Chinese, which, you know, their imagery till this day, 2018, the majority of people think that China is rice patties and sweatshops. They have no concept of the fact that they dominate manufacturing. They dominate banking. And when I tell most people, Paul, hey, what's the biggest sector of the Chinese economy? Oh, manufacturing. They got sweatshops. No, it's banking. They yeah, they've got a huge banking sector, yeah. Yeah. And they don't realize, look at what they've done with the Shanghai Gold Exchange. The only, it is the largest gold exchange in the world where actual physical metal changes hands. And look at what they did with the Petro Yuan uh, settlement that they've lost. Their, their Petro Yuan standard with, with minimal and limited you know, uh, openings in terms of operational hours, right? They have far exceeded the volume that you'd even see in the Brent. This is incredible. And the thing is, it's just no, going to grow. And, of course, the first right. contracts get settled in September. So it'll be interesting to, 
to see what happens then. But yeah, it's a slow burner, but that's what China does. It just gets on, does what it's doing. It doesn't need a fanfare. It, but I mean, you just look, how many times are we now seeing that the comment RMB internationalization is cropping up on a daily basis where nations are talking about it? And, and, and But China knows you don't have to announce to the world. You just keep doing what you're doing. And eventually, there comes a tipping point where the adoption of the, the RMB becomes, you know, something that suddenly, oh, hang on a minute. We thought only 2% of transactions were using. Oh, actually, no, it's, it's not 2%. In fact, it never was. It was a lot higher than 2%. Oh, suddenly now it's becoming uh, more of a dominant currency. But... The point is that China recognizes the fact that having the world's reserve currency, a fiat currency, is farcical, what, which is precisely why China will have a gold-backed RMB. Russia will have gold-backed ruble. This is why they're buying all the gold, because it's the return of sound money. Whether people like it or not, that's the future. Sound money is, we will see the return of it. And this is the thing, this, this is what all the people don't get who are just, worship at the altar of fiat currency they can't that's why they can never see the death of the dollar because they don't understand what's coming and, but it is it it just surprises me that you would you would want to lock on to the chinese but i think it's what is because effectively back in 20 early 2016 the chinese were muting about launching a gold backed uh, the uh, rmb then and what did they they didn't they backed off because effectively the U.S. said you know, it was tantamount to a declaration of war. And it, but the, the world's changed, and now they're going, well, actually, at some point, we're going to do this. And But I, I think what, what it comes back to is what we said probably on the first show we did after the 1st of March. The biggest turning point in the whole event-driven scenario was when Putin did his speech to lawmakers in Russia and, and admitted to the world, we have this tech, military technology, and it's so far ahead. I mean, to put this in context, the, the Russians are announcing technology and saying, well, it's in development or, you know, or we, we're just trialing it. Actually, they've had it operational sometimes for five years, sometimes for 10, even 15 and 20 years it's been operational. They're just telling the world now, <laughs> well, we've got this technology, but they don't tell them they've had it operational for years. I mean, the S500s, do we think they're still in prototype form? No, they they're operational. They just haven't rolled them out. And why would they? Why are they going to tell the world, actually, this is what exactly what we're doing? But Putin's speech changed everything because suddenly the U.S. military turned around and went, we're sitting ducks. There's nothing we can do. And the rest of the world went, the U.S. is sitting ducks. They can't exert their authority militarily anymore. That was the biggest game-changing moment probably in the last 10 or 15 years. It changed the whole dynamic. And we said, at the time, this is going to be the catalyst for a whole change of attitude, a whole change in terms of how the world operates. And it most certainly has been. And that you could arguably say that's another reason for the U.S. wanting reproachment with Russia, because they don't want they're now going, hang on a minute. We can't afford to uh, to upset the Russians too much because militarily they are light years ahead. Now, th the point is, so the Chinese also have military technology and. I mean, I, I was a bit surprised because I thought they already had them, although I'm not sure, but the Chinese are now taking huge deliveries of S-400, and so is everyone else for that matter. We've got, I mean, you talk about the Middle East, you've got Qatar wanting them. Um, 
And then, of course, you've got uh, Turkey are taking autumn. The Indian, India have said we're taking or we're, you know, an autumn. And the world wants them because it's the best technology. And that was the big game-changing point was Putin. Oh, and Putin did it wrong. deliberately. You're 100% wrong. <laughs> the best technology is the F-35. That's why everybody wants it, Paul. What, the flying tin can? Yes, that's the one, the flying turkey. <laughs> I mean, it's just... <sighs> But that, but that, that's the point, and that's the other thing that the thing that the the military industrial complex in the U.S. doesn't get. They can't understand how relatively Russia spent so little and has this technology, while they've spent, well, who knows, in excess of a trillion, maybe two trillion, on the F thirty five, and and really it is. It's just unfortunately, it's a flying tin can, and and you know, it's rather like. Um, uh, the missile defense systems in comparison. So, but it was, it was a big game changing event. It changed uh, the whole complex of the world. It's precisely why at that point, think of what's happened since then. Everyone goes, oh, well, you know, the, the US decided to sit down with, with the North Koreans. Why do you think that happened? Precisely because of Putin's speech to the lawmakers. Why is the, re I mean, to some extent, why is the reproach in between? The Russians and and the U.S. Well, we've highlighted there are many reasons, but part of it certainly is the mili military prowess of of uh, Russia and what happened with regards to Syria. I mean, we had the the whole sort of chemical weapons debacle in Douma, and then the the missile attack that went spectacularly wrong, and people inside the Pentagon in the uh, State Department must have sat there and gone. What exactly are we dealing with here? Because we can't contend with with the the Russians militarily, and we've we've had a classic example of that when most of our missiles uh, never reach their intended targets, simply because the Russians had the capability to down them. And in fact, some of the missiles didn't it were uh, were didn't even manage to take off. They they sort of obviously not only destroyed missiles in the air, but jam them so they couldn't even launch them so and the list goes on and on and on but that was the game changer moment and it's it's certainly changed the the geopolitical sphere of the world now is that part of the reason perhaps why elements within within washington within the the, the cabal within the deep state whatever you want to call it turned around and gone right well we can't compete with russia there's no point even trying so let's try and get them on side and let's hope that in a way they can help us kind of drive a wedge between between the Russians and the Chinese and, and see in some way if we can dent the Chinese and, and in the process. But it's all desperation and it's all going to fail. But my concern is that you know, Trump himself is going to end up be on the receiving end of a huge backlash as a result of this. When I don't think his, his intentions and his desires very, very different from from elements within the administration who have a very different agenda with regards to China, Russia, and and pretty much everywhere else. I think, I mean, I think they've largely given up with North Korea. And now, what was it? I think Pompeo came out and said, "Well, we'll give them till the end of Trump's uh, term of office to to denuclearize." Well, what's so he going to give them another two years, basically? So, effectively, they're backed off and said, "We're not even going to try and um, dictate terms with with um, with the North Koreans." They've given up in that regard. I think they pretty much have to give up with regards to Syria. So, I mean, Iran, yeah, they'll keep sort of um, hoping to drive a wedge um, between the Iranian people and Tehran government, which is not going to happen. And what's part of the reason as well is because 
look at geo, you know, just geographically where Iran is in relation to to Europe, in relation to Asia, in relation to um, to China. It's going to be a, a pivotal part of the Belt and Road Initiative, and that's another reason why it's not just about regime change in Iran for that purpose. They want to stick it to the Chinese to do with the Belt and Road Initiative, and Iran's going to be a huge nexus point in that regard. I mean, and apart from anything else, it has huge energy reserves, of which China is more than happy to, you know, the Europeans can walk away from, uh, or if they do, obviously we're not saying they're going to, but if they walk away from uh, by the JCPOA and, and no longer trade, uh, you know, in oil and gas with, uh, well, oil with, um, with Iran, China will go. Don't worry, we'll just we'll just lap up the surplus because we'll we'll take as much oil as you as you can sell, and not exclusively will China do that. And that's another reason why, because if you if you drive a wedge between the Chinese and the Russians economically, they think it's going to be very damaging to 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 the Chinese in the process. Even though, of course, it's absolute nonsense and it's never going to be reality. Paul, the economies of South America are going through massive transitions. Uh, Argentina is once again the poster child of monetary mayhem. And then, of course, you have the Venezuelans, one of the most resource-rich countries in the world, about to supersede Zimbabwe in terms of starving billionaires and hyperinflation. What are your thoughts, and how does the U.S. hegemon respond to this? Well, of course, the, the situation, yeah, I think, we, I mean, who knows? We're, we're talking well over and probably a million percent inflation in Venezuela. I mean, it's, I mean it, the problem with, with Venezuela is it's twofold. Yes, there's been huge economic mismanagement, but also the U.S. has been doing its damnedest to have regime change and wreck the Venezuelan economy in the process. I mean, that's, that's irrefutable. Um, and that will rumble on. I think the Chinese and the Russians will keep backstopping them and, and prevent regime change. That doesn't mean that they regard Maduro as as, as the, the perfect leader for the Venezuelans, quite the contrary, I would suspect. But I mean, that's Argentina is a slightly different story because obviously the irony is the peso started to suffer because um, precisely because of the fact that when the U.S. raised interest rates, it caused this huge exodus from emerging markets. Now, Argentina's got a number of problems. I mean, the first one is it's negotiating a credit line with the IMF. Why you'd want to do that, but it just beggars belief. I, you know, I've got absolutely no idea why you'd want to do that. But also, interestingly, of course, is look at the role China's playing in in Venezuela because sorry, in Argentina, because what the the, the, the um, Argentinian finance ministry is trying to do, they want to extend the swap agreements with the Chinese because China's central bank last year extended this bilateral swap agreement with them, which was 70 billion yuan, so around 10.5 billion US dollars for another three years. I mean, the first swap agreement was signed with China back in 20, sorry, 2009. And then 2014, they signed a second agreement, if I'm right. And, and of course, they, what do the swap agreements do? I'm sure everyone knows, but some people might not do. Argentina can bolster foreign reserves or pay for Chinese imports with yuan. Of course, that's the base of how it works. And obviously, the reserves had risen to nearly 50 billion 
which was double what it was in December 2015, when obviously the, the incumbent president now, Macri, took office and he said he was going to end Argentina's financial isolation with all this range of free market reforms. Well, clearly that has failed. But what do we see? And I think this is quite telling is all of a sudden Macri has announced that he's given the green light for all this creation of U.S. military bases. I think there's in three locations. I can't recall all of them. I think one of them was Tierra del Fuego, but there are two others which I don't recall. And apparently their creation is going to be financed by the U.S. Southern Command. Well, I'd like to know where they're going to get the money from to do that. But anyway, that's that's a separate point. Um, now, of course, the question is, why is the U.S. trying to move in militarily? Well, I think it's trying to get a toehold and or a foothold. And also they're terrified the Chinese are going to move in. And this is everything really from my perspective at the moment is it's all this kind of strange kind of not sure how to describe it. Wherever China's operating, the US is trying to 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 meddle or to try. Like Venezuela is a great example. China's backstopped, as have the Russians. The US, the US is obviously meddling there and trying to you know, undertake regime change. There's no doubt about that. There's arguments and questions as to what the US role is in Argentina, but certainly they're trying to influence the the Argentinian government. I think it revolves around China. It seems wherever China is, the US is trying to stick their oar in and try and disrupt relations with other nations. I'm not, not obviously exclusively because they can't do it all over the world, but I think certainly they, there's certainly elements of truth in that with regards to Brazil in the past. I mean, obviously there's now's not the time to discuss the BRICS summit because it's ongoing in Johannesburg, but it remains to be seen what the, the outcome of that is, apart from the obvious outcomes that we'll see. But but certainly, I think in South America, the the the, the U.S. is terrified of, of the Chinese and the Russians getting a toehold or a foothold there in the process, and also, of course, in Central America as as well, for that matter. I mean, I mean the Chinese have got quite a big influence in in the vicinity of the Panama Canal, for example. So there's a lot of fear in in that regard. But certainly, I I'm not sure what um, what. Uh, the need for the U.S. to construct three new bases in Argentina is—I mean, who's posing the threat to Argentina? It's, no, but I think it's just trying to, in a way, circumvent any developments in, in relations between the Chinese and the Argentinians. But ultimately, China's going to prevail. This is the point. This is all transient behavior that's going to make not a lot, no difference in the end. China is the one who'll prevail in these countries. They'll provide the route for them to have far more economic stability and you know eventually of course the americas north and south and central will become part of the belt and road initiative which they'll have to be otherwise if they don't they're going to be you know stuck with economic oblivion so the rest of the world will eventually have to adopt the belt and road initiative and even at some point the u.s will of course in whenever that comes to pass but and but i think that's the reason for this kind of meddling in in South America, but what does China keep doing? It just goes to every nation, and says, "Okay, let's sign some uh, trade agreements, let's start to develop relations," and and all these nations are very keen and eager to do so, and they will continue to do that. And there's nothing that's going to stop this economic multipolar world, whatever elements within the Trump administration or even outside the Trump administration feel they're going to to bring to pass. And I, I think no doubt there are elements within the U.S. military that 
are totally unaligned with with Trump's vision of things. And uh, because there's no doubt Trump knows better than anyone in his administration, it's foolish having hundreds of military bases in over 100 countries that cost, well, who knows what the annual bill is to, to, to service those bases and what for what purpose it serves the US no purpose whatsoever as we know and that money will be far better channeled into the US economy to regenerate the country economically as as it should as it needs to do and it has to do absolutely Paul uh, last three minutes um, your roundup and how people could uh, follow you yeah for roundup just as we said Things have been interesting, but we're, we're moving into a whole different realm of what's going to be interesting in the going forward. We're starting to sort of move into a different phase of, of operations. So you know, just keep keep alert. We'll do all we can. Rogue News does that and, and other, obviously, uh, media outlets as well that are trying to get the, the, the reality of what's going on across so people can understand and and that's all we're all trying to do and and just continually paint the picture as things are in reality and not some sort of misguided view of of what we'd like to think is going on and therefore at times we'll say things that aren't necessarily what people want to hear but at the end of the day the only thing we want to hear is reality that reality is all that matters and and unfortunately you know from my perspective the U.S. policy towards China at the moment is is ridiculous. It is completely detrimental. It will serve the U.S. no purpose in doing this, and it has to change. And I don't know what it is that's going to change that viewpoint. I I fear nothing is going to change the viewpoint at the moment, uh, but but it will serve the U.S. no purpose in the process of, in doing so. And uh, but we just have to keep following global developments and. Sometimes the most innocuous little things are, are some of the biggest stories that come out. And often something that's a little two-line throwaway comment somewhere on wh whatever it may be discussed is actually a huge development. Uh, in, in the, and unfortunately, of course, there's just the ongoing kabuki theater in the U.S. with everything to do with Mueller. And... And we didn't get a chance to discuss any of that. And, but it's just a complete sideshow from what actually needs to be done in the U.S. This is all not serving any person in the U.S. in any way, shape or form. The real issue is that the U.S. needs to start getting, having a stronger economy. It needs to have a real economy to be able to endure what's coming in the future. And rather than this illusionary economy of full, full employment, with 100 million people economically inactive and all the things we've discussed before. And for me, it's just way too much focus on Republican, Democrat. The, the Democrats said this, and you got the Democrat, no, the Republicans said this, and it's all partisan illusionary politics that dominating people's focus. And not, actually, what is what are we doing economically? How are we building solid relations with other nations that we're going to need to work with in the future? And there's not enough discussion of that. It's all... Well, the Mueller investigation is this. Are we going to impeach this person? What's going to happen with it? And ultimately, it achieves nothing. We said it would rumble on. We said he, probably at the start of this year and the back end of last year, it'll rumble on and on and on. Eventually, there's going to be a resolution. But in the meantime, I think everyone's losing focus on what are the real fundamental issues for the US at the moment, which, yes, there are problems, but you can't tackle all these problems simultaneously and neglect 
important things like the US economy, US business, and also just extricating yourself from trade wars with nations. And don't antagonize the, the agriculture industry. Don't upset the farmers in the US who say, do you know what? We don't want handouts. We just want to enter these tariffs. Why are you imposing tariffs? It's where well, you're killing us as a as an industry. And it, Trump's lose going to lose popularity because these are the important issues. It ultimately all revolves now. The, war, the world's moved on. The idea of military conquest to resolve anything is over. Yeah, people will try it, but it's not going to achieve anything now. The future is about economics, it's trade and commerce, it's a multipolar world, and everybody needs to get on board, and the US needs to get on board, and it should have got on board a year and a half ago, or, you know, for, and even longer. From the minute Trump came into office, that's what he should have been doing, but he, okay, I can see why he couldn't do these things, for all the reasons, and Russia being a classic example is the whole Mueller investigation, but that will only end when it's going to end. In the meantime, there's far more important things from my perspective to deal with that, that to address the problems the U.S. faces in the future, because it's fine to get rid of all these, this problem eventually. But it's not going to resolve any of the underlying problems that the U.S., and not just the U.S. I mean, the U.K. is in an absolute mess. We didn't talk anything about Brexit, and we won't do that. But, uh, but the, US is, uh, the U.K. economy is just in, in free fall as well, and this whole debacle with Brexit is farcical. But I sort of waffled on a bit too long there. But, uh, but yeah, in terms of the website, obviously, it's theseriousreport.com. And, you know, you can check out all the, the free stuff there. And uh, if you want to subscribe, you know, we'd, we'd appreciate that. And we thank everyone who has been long-term subscribers because they're the ones who've kept everything what we're doing going. Absolutely. London Paul, thank you so much for being on, folks. Again, the website is theseriousreport.com, theseriousreport.com. With that being said, CJ, uh, what, do we, what else do we have lined up today? Uh, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, Cuss with Gus. Yes. And Harley is being uh, moved to, to Friday. He's got his uh, calendar f- uh, filled for today. No problem. All right, folks, with that being said, we're over now. Stay tuned for Cuss with Gus at 4 p.m. Have a great day.